you know, there's a problem in understanding the relationship between the person who learns Torah and the Torah. You know, I sit in the yeshiva, you know, I see young people come to learn. Person comes, he's here a few weeks, a few months, even a few years, and he feels that uh, he has an idea, he has a substantial idea, you know, of an approach to learning. I can't help but tell you that it's difficult. I want to present the problem. It's even difficult to be conscious and cognizant of the problem. It's not an easy matter to learn Torah. It's not an easy matter. The relationship between Jews and the learning Torah, there's, there's a certain tenacity, a clinging. You don't see it, the goal is today, you don't see it, but those that saw there was a stubbornness, there was a tremendous stubbornness in learning Torah. I would like to learn a piece of Gemara. It's a very, the Gemara is very popular, very commonly known. Maybe some of you don't know it. But in this Gemara, I was recently thinking about this Gemara. A bit of the mystery is, is, is uncovered for us about the relationship between a Jew learning Torah. The Gemara says, it's a very famous Gemara in Ereven, the Gemara says, Rabbi Preider, there was an Amoire, his name was Rabbi Preider, had a Talmud, he had a Talmud, this Talmud, it seems, wasn't a bright boy. And Rabbi Meir, used to learn with him every Shia. Rashi learns every parent 400 times. Seems that's every Shia, even the Rashi. The Talmud had a, a difficulty in absorbing the Shia. So Rabbi prayed they used to learn with him the Shia 400 times. Zimna Chada, one time, one time, Rabbi Preda had a mission, he had to leave the yeshiva to do a mitzvah. Rabbi Preda, the teacher, the rabbi, he was needed someplace to to uh, to do a certain mitzvah. No, before he left, Tanilei, he learned the Shia with the Talmudim, including this Talmud. Beloy Goma, and he saw that the Talmud didn't didn't learn the Shia, didn't understand the Shia, and he learned with him four hundred times. Beloy Goma, and the Talmud didn't learn the Shia. Omar Lay, so Rabbi Prada said to the Talmud, what is today different than any other time? 
We know that any other time, when we learn the Shia, I teach it to you 400 times, you know the Shia? What is it today? You don't know the Shia. Amar Loi says, Talmud said to him, Mehai Shaita, from the moment the Omru lay Lemar Ike Musa de Mitzvah, Asachti Ledatai. He says, from the moment that I heard the messengers tell the Rebbe, Rabbi Prader, that he has to go away to do a mitzvah, so my mind became ill at ease, the whole shaita, and at every moment, I felt ill at ease, I felt that you're going to leave, you're going to leave. So subsequently, subsequently, I couldn't absorb the shit. On my way, so Rapreda said to the Talmud, have daitacha. Have daitacha. Said to him, pay attention. The Asnilach, I'm going to learn with you again. Panelei arba meyazimna achriti vigam. He taught him again this year 400 times, and uh, and he absorbed the shit. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot to discuss in this piece of Gemara. There's the greatness of the Rebbe, Rabbi Prater, a Rebbe that's willing to learn over 400 times. The Rishonim say many times that such a number like 400 or 300 is an exaggeration. The Rishonim say it's a guzma, 300. But whatever it means, it certainly means that he learned with him many, 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 many times, more than usual. So the Rebbe was, the Rebbe, great, we understand the greatness of the Rebbe. And we also understand the, the greatness of the Talmud, a Talmud that's willing to learn many, 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 many times. There's a lot to talk about in this Gemara. Today, I, I, I was thinking about this Talmud. I was thinking about this Talmud. What, what kind of person was this Talmud? He goes to Yeshiva, he goes to learn the Rabbi Prader. There's other, there are other people in the Yeshiva. I mean, you have to realize, not to fantasize, there were other people in Yeshiva. The Rabbi says the Shia once, twice, and everybody, and everybody understands. Here sits a dumbbell. Once, ten times, twelve times. The Rebbe has to listen every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Chazer Shia. And one day, a little change, a little, a slight variation in the schedule of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe sat over the Shia. He couldn't have absorbed it at such a time, like such a, such a tense creature. He couldn't, he couldn't listen to the Shia, and the Rebbe had to learn over again, and again, and again, and again, the whole Shia. But if we sit down and we think, not about the Rebbe, but let's think about the Talmud. I would be the Talmud. I've thought to myself, it doesn't go. You try, it doesn't go. At first sight, you see, it doesn't go. It's hard. You don't absorb it. It's not for me. Not everything was meant for everybody. It's not for me. You try one day, one week, one year. 
You have to understand, Rabbi, Rabbi Zera wasn't teaching Galapagos. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Prada was an Amora. He had a big yeshiva. He was a big Russian yeshiva. So go, become a carpenter. What are, what are you doing in yeshiva? What are, what are you sitting there for? There's something here in the Gemara that I want to show. We're going to learn another piece of Gemara, a very interesting piece of Gemara that will explain this piece of Gemara. To my mind, to my mind, it's an explanation of this piece of Gemara. The Gemara concludes here, it's interesting to look in the Gemara, the greatness of the Rebbe, that he could teach him 800 times, day in and day out. But, but the question is, to understand what was the Talmud? There's another Gemara about learning that gives us a whole insight into learning. With that other Gemara, it occurred to me recently, very recently, that, that I could understand what, what the attitude of the Talmud was here. What kind of a person was he? Rabbi Meir had a daughter. Her name was Bruria. Very famous in the Gemara. He had a daughter, Bruria. Bruria was a very wise woman. The Gemara quotes Bruria in many places about her wisdom. Hold on. So there's a Gemara on Nachman Gimel in Arab and a block before. The Gemara tells over that Bruria Ashkachte Lahu Talmidadikoshbulakhisha. The, the Gemara tells over that Bruria, one day she passed the base Madrash and she saw a Talmud, a Talmud sitting and learning the Kogoras Bulakhisha. He was learning very, very quiet. You couldn't hear his voice. Look, he, may, he might have been reading. I doubt if he could have was uh, reading because, especially in the times of the Gemara, and Al-Pi'aloche, it's more to, to enunciate the words when you learn. You shouldn't just read the words. You should try to say out the words. But anyway, he was learning very, very quiet. So she passed it. What she did, she gave him a kick. Gave him a kick with her foot. She gave him a good, swift kick. But Amrulay, she said to this Talmud, Ladachiksif. It's written about learning very differently than you're doing. Ladachiksif, not the way you're doing is it written. Tagod Amalach, in his last woolen testimony in Shmuel, said, Arucha bakoil ushmura. Arucha bakoil ushmura. David Amalek said that the Torah is prepared. Arucha, it's like a table that's set with everything and it's guarded. Strange words. Arucha bakoil ushmura. That the Torah, that he compared it to a table that it's prepared, it's beautifully prepared and it's guarded. What does the Pasik mean? So she told him that the Pasik means the following. If a person is prepared with all his 248 limbs and ligaments and with his whole body, in other words, if a person learns Torah with, with his whole body, involving his physical body, then the Torah remains guarded in your heart. You won't forget it. 
what she told him. In other words, she, she gave him a kick. She said, He was sitting and learning quietly. He was learning. So she went over and she gave him a kick. She gave him a swift kick. She told him, She told him, You're not learning the way you're supposed to learn. What do you mean? She said, You're supposed to learn. It says, That your whole body has to be involved in learning. In other words, your voice too. You know, that comes in a lot of times you see, you know, they learn. I don't know if you ever saw that people are sitting and learning by themselves, they learn as if there's another person there. I mean, I saw it many, many times. It's very good. When they learn, they sit, even if they're learning themselves, they sit and they learn as if there's another person and they're talking to another. And they're sitting and they're doing this. Can you imagine going into a library in Columbia University, seeing somebody sitting by a book? They would immediately take him to Creedmoor. Immediately. But she told him no. She told him that she gave him a kick and she kicked him. She said, You're learning Torah. You can't sit and just. You have to go loud, you have to go loud, you have to. Your ears have to see, you have to move. You know. But your whole body has to be involved. What's the shot this tomorrow? What did she tell him? First of all, always used to bother me. With all respect, due respect to Bruria, who was a big tzaddikist and an ishak doyle, the Gemara quotes are in many places. It used to bother me how come that this pasik of Arucha Bakal Shmur, which says that you have to involve the Ramahi Borim in learning Toyba. That you have to involve your physicality in learning theory. Everything has to be awake. And she she criticized this Talmud and told him he's doing it all wrong. How come he learned this halacha from a woman? I don't like With all due respect to the woman, especially in the age of women's lid. I mean, what do I mean to say? Because Alpi Ikra the Dina, a woman is caught up in Talmud Torah. She's not mukhit to go to Yeshiva and learn. Except on mitzvahs and our things. But she's not mukhit to learn about mitzvahs. So now the Gemara comes and the Gemara teaches us a din about the very essential nature of learning. How are you supposed to learn? I mean, it's so radically different, the learning of Torah, the learning of anything else. Can you, I mean, really, can you imagine going into a library, going to Columbia, going to Harvard, in the library? If you say something to your neighbor in the library, the librarian walks on you. You're disturbing everybody. You know, you go in a big library. When I was young, I used to go to a library. You go, and everybody's sitting quiet, like a walk. <laughs> and you go into a mismanage, you know, really, you know, you're sitting and learning, everybody's singing a different tune, and they're shouting. And this, it's such a radical contrast. And this thing we learned from Brewery. It occurred to me that the Gemara has told that that there's a there's a very big secret in this thing here that the Gemara. No, there are no accidents. There's no fortuitous accidents in the Gemara. When the Gemara wants to teach you something, a halacha, the Gemara is a strange, mysterious body of chokhmah. Femininity. This halacha is not an accident that we learn it from a woman. Femininity is the place, is the is the, is the entity. Of, of, where, of, of creation. In this world, the nearest thing that you have to, to, 
gracious borrowed the creation of something is a woman. You have it in, 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 in the animal, in the animal kingdom, but between the human beings, the birth of a person, the process, the birth process of a person, you see in feminine, a child is born of a woman. She's the receptacle, she's the vessel in which the whole birth process takes place. She told him a, ver a very, very funny thing. You know, somebody can be audacious and courageous, not so audacious, but can be very honest and say, what is this business of involving your whole body when you learn? When you study physics in a library, you sit quietly, you look in the physics book, and you concentrate. And when you learn, and when you learn talk for coin, you expect it to, to shout and fight. And this fellow who was sitting, the Gemara testifies on the Gors Bulukisha, the Gemara says he was sitting quietly learning. What do you want from him? He's a good boy. What you kick him for? She gave him a kick. Protest. And she told him, no, you have to involve your whole body. She understood that learning is a birth process. It's what you call a yitzira. There's two types of learning. There are two types of learning. There's learning which is a collection of facts. You can win the Nobel Prize. You can make a revolution in chemistry, in science, in physics, in philosophy, in whatever you want. And, and the whole revolution is from here on. From here up, goes on in your head. Uh, you all heard of the philosopher Kant. Kant. I mean, in philosophy, Kant was probably the last of the what you call contemporary great philosophers. If and it's all, that's not that league. It was a, you know, a, a milestone in philosophy. Kant had a critic. His name was Schleimer Meimer. Shlomo Maimon was a yeshiva fellow who unfortunately ran away from yeshiva from the, from those days in Lithuania from the poverty of Lithuania and, and he became a philosopher in Wittenberg and he wrote a book against Kant. In fact, he wrote a Pirush and the Marina Bucha of the Rambam. But he wasn't religious anymore. So Kant said that the only strong criticism, the only valid criticism there is of this whole philosophical theory system is Solomon Mind. Schleimer Mind. His name was Schleimer Mind. This Schleimer Mind was a drunk, a bomb, the biggest bomb you ever saw in your life. It was with Moses Mendelssohn. If you know what, he threw him out of his house. Couldn't, he couldn't keep him in his house. He was so repulsive. He threw him out of his house. Yet, in the realms of philosophy, he was the one that shook the mighty citadel that's called, that's called Kant, Kantian philosophy, transcendentalism. He was the one because the whole, the whole, the whole, this type of knowledge is from the neck up. From the neck up. You can be a genius in ethics and morals, a genius. You can be a scientist. And many of the, in some of the matters, people who are bright lights in science are egomaniacs. I spoke to somebody at most, uh, one of the big men in MIT, he told me he's an egomaniac. You dare say one word in the class, he's bright fellows in the class. 
against him, he blows up, he sees terrible. There's two, there's, there are, in the world, there are two types of knowledge. There's a knowledge, it's like a collection of facts. It's like holding books in your head. It's like, it's like your head is a bookcase. A little more, maybe. That's not That was not a man. The, the whole, all the wisdom that you see about the common, about the in the whole Torah, in the whole Shas, this is all together. This, this is meant, this is true evolution. True evolution. The Torah is meant, the mystery of the Torah through prayer is meant to change the person altogether. It's the whole meaning of Torah. She saw him sitting and learning. She told him, you're not learning properly. Your whole body has to respond to the learning, just like when a woman is pregnant. Her whole homeostasis of her whole body is involved. She told him that learning, what do you mean you're sitting? You're sitting? You have to be on fire, she told him. She gave him a kick. Arucha and Shmura, she told him, you have to vibrate. You're sitting by the Gemara. I never understood. You, I don't know if you ever heard of tremendous interest. Uh, 80 years ago, 75 years ago, 70 years ago, not a little earlier than that, the Balazhina Rosh Hashiva, the Nitzit, he used to sit in Balazhina at night. He used to sit with a wet, at, in the wintertime in Russia. All right, the house was warm with an oven. He used to sit without his shoes and sacks. He used to sit with his feet in a, in a, in a, in a barrel from, of cold water with a wet towel on his head, a cold, wet towel. He shouldn't fall asleep at night when he's learning. So I used, I used to say, oh, great, he's at Sadiq. But I still, what is he doing? What, what, what is it? Obsessive-compulsive? A monomaniac? What is he doing? No. If you don't understand that, that he saw, they saw with their Kedusha, they saw that the relationship between a person and Torah is a birth process, a rebirth. This, the changing, it's changing the genes, the this, the that, the Torah. The person and his relationship to Torah is not, and, and if he, on his level, he saw it so clearly, we're talking about it. We're trying to discover it. We, but for us, it's vague. We, we see the contours, but he saw it actually like we, like a few of the table. He saw that this is what prayer learning is all about. So he was ready to put his feet. He put his feet in cold water with a wet towel on his head. He shouldn't fall asleep. That's what he's doing. The Talmud of Rav Prada, who learned 400 times and one time, 800 times, Somehow he perceived that this is a birth process. If it's only a question of knowing facts, there's no there's no such a thing. If it's a question of knowing facts, I can't. It doesn't go. I have to I have, I have to go elsewhere. I have to do something else. But if a person perceives that the learning Torah, that in the Torah there is, I don't know what word to use. There's such rays that affect the totality of the human being and, and it takes the human being and reworks it if you zoich at the Torah. So there's no, if, if a person knows I have, 
I had, a, I had a potential to become something else. That there's no limit to what a person can do. See, if you're talking about mastering, if you're talking about mastering a certain knowledge, so if it goes, it goes. I would love to learn how to play the violin. I thought, honestly, I would love. And then I had an opportunity when I was young. I would love to know how to play the violin. So I went and I asked a number of people. I keep on asking musicians. They tell me, you're too old. You have to start when you're very young. And I think, ah. But I said, tell me clearly. Tell me clearly. And they tell me, look, you can't do it. As much as I would love to do it, you can't. What am I going to go do? Take five hours a day and practice and be up. When it comes to learning, I know that even though if I don't know, I don't give up hope yet. I still believe that I'll, I still, but somehow, someone feels that this is not mastering facts. This is, this is a neshama science. This is, this is taking the, the fiber of the neshama and, and connecting it in such a chokhmah that the whole, the whole human being changes. This, this is the internal, this is the eternal relationship between Claudius and Paul. In all the ghosts that we were, you know, if you know the histories, if you know the history of of of, of Claudius, there was such pressures, there was such persecutionary pressures on the Jew. Just close the sheets. You know why Valashna with this Rosh Yeshiva? You know why Valashna Yeshiva closed? You have to understand what Valashna Yeshiva was. Reb Chaim Valashna started the Yeshiva and for 82 years, not missing one day, for 82 years, 24 hours a day, for 82 years without one interruption at Yom Kippur at night, there was always in the Bismarck at least a million of 10 people sitting and learning. Yom Kippur at night, everybody went out, 10 people remained, and as soon as 10 boys finished, they went in and the other 10 went to eat. Pesach at night, there was dark, there were 10 people in the Bismarck. For 82 years, the Valashim and Yeshiva, 24 hours a day, for 82 years, uninterruptedly, there were at least a million of people learning in Valashim. You know why they closed the Valashim and Yeshiva? The Russian government insisted that they should teach Russian. The government said, if you teach Russian, the subject Russian, the Jews of Russia didn't know how to speak Russian. Who spoke? I had nothing to do with the guy. It's like, can't imagine living in America, not knowing how to say, born in America, and someone shouldn't know how to speak English. The Jews had nothing to do with the guy. So they spoke Jewish. So the government insisted that they teach Russian. So this Nitzib, the fellow who put his feet in the battle of war, said, if I have to change the, the, the structure of the yeshiva, no more yeshiva. At the end of 82 years, he closed the law yeshiva. All I ask of him, a little Russian. They wouldn't do it. Because the G'doyle Torah of all ages, they sensed, and the Jews sensed that the learning of Torah was a, a very interesting thing. I lived for a year's time in Toronto, so I used to speak to the old timers I wanted to know about the history of the uh, community, you know, where the Jews came from. Mostly the Jews came from, uh, from Poland, but from around a center called Stasha. So what kind of Jews are? A fellow tells me that there was a Jew there in the shul that was a, a peddler. A ho- a ho- Saturday night he used to leave his home. In those days, you know, people like that was the survival of the fittest, that the struggle to make a living and support your family. He had a horse and wagon. 
and he used to go around to the little villages and the farms in Canada and sell to the farmers wares. He had their wagon. And he used to come home Thursday, late Thursday afternoon. He always made it home. So he never went home to his family. The first thing he did was he would go Thursday to the Besmadish. He would daven ma'ar in the Besmadish and he would learn Thursday a whole night in the Besmadish. A June Toronto, a pella. Friday morning he would come home. I'm going to think about this. What was it? He was sadist. I used to think about this. A man that's bounced around a whole week, you know, a human being. And the first love that he comes home to is his Gemara. There's nobody in physics like that, not in philosophy, not in chemistry, not in any secular subject in All I'm trying to tell you is we don't see anything, you don't see much. I'm trying to define to you that the relationship between June and June 30 is like a person who's gasping for air and you give him an oxygen tank. The relationship was a first part. It was a constant rebirth. It was a constant, it was a constant 400 times. Another 400 times. What? You don't know, go home. What do you mean? But he felt he could be, he, he sensed this Talmud had that genius. He felt that this is, it's a birth process. It's any price. She told him, what do you mean you're sitting just like this with a, in a comfortable way? You know that the Chafetz Chaim, this is, how many years is it that the Chafetz Chaim must have died in 1935, I believe. Not so, not so. You know the Chafetz Chaim wouldn't have in his house, he used to sit and learn in his house, he wouldn't sit on a chair with a back. What's wrong with a chair with a back? He just had a bench in his house. What's wrong with a chair with a back? He felt when you learn and you lean back like this, it's a contradiction, the way you're supposed to learn. I'm joking. I'm joking. He wouldn't sit on a chair with a back, because he says, if you sit on a chair, you're back and you learn. You lean back like this. If you lean back like this, you're taking it easy. You're taking it easy. It's the opposite of the deserve a kick from brewery. That you have to learn, it has to be a process, you know, a creative process, a creative process. We have to rebuild the Jewish world so we have to know what we're talking about. You know, when, you know, when they tell a person, learn, 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 you know, they think, what are they learning? When you want, it's, it's, it's a creative force, a literally a biological in the, in the biology of the Ruach, of the spirit, this is what learning is. This is, if you look, I mean, if the you'll be able to learn the letters of the Chazaynish, you'll see in his letters exactly, this, this spirit hovers over all his letters. He was a person that exemplified this whole thing. I knew him. He... he <laughs> He told me the first time I met him, the first time I came and he saw that there was no, he saw who was in front of him. So I sat, he sat me down on a chair and for an hour he kept on telling stories about people who, he to, who I thought were geniuses. And he told me, for instance, he told me a story that the Ketzosa Choshen wasn't a genius. He told me Rabbi Tzolchanan wasn't a genius and the Nitzid with the cold water was also not a genius. And he began to tell me how they became big people, although they were very uh, mediocre and talents. 
You can't become big if you're mediocre and dominant. But if it's a creative process, a person recreates himself. I'm not the person who started out. I started out, I was this way, but if I could recreate my neshama, if I'm a different person. In the physical world, it's not possible. You are what you are. The Chazonish was this person that knew that the relationship between a person and Torah is a creative process. You have no idea how he and his disciples around him, until today, you go into the Bismarck and the Neidrak and the Chazonish's coil, you see the weirdest things. You come in there in the middle of the day, you see people sleeping on the benches. Sleeping on? You know, first time I came, look so funny. What is it? There were people there that learned with such intensity till they fall off their feet. They learned with such, it's over there, they, over there they know, there's in, it's left over here to them, there's in the Bismarck, there's his, there's his climate, you know. You gotta take it by storm. And he left them over this legacy that it's a, it's a process. That's why you can find such a thing 400 times, 500 times. Go in a school, and I'm not being facetious, go into a great school, go into high school, and put a boy in a, in, in, in a, in a math class and tell the teacher that in order to understand the theorem in geometry, that it has to take him 200 times. Right away, they'll call him the school psychologist, and they'll tell you he has a learning disability. What? He's finished for the rest of his life. The phrase is right out of Psych 5 and learning disability. They immediately give him a stamp. He's classified, and that's it. In Torah, there's no such a thing. In Torah, there's no such a thing. It's Kamat that don't recognize disabilities. In Torah, it's, it's, it's the purity of your heart. And if you want it, if it's 400 times, if it's 800 times, it's Arucha Bakolish so that it becomes a Nukarik. A recreation of the person. There are there are learning. There are coming that 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 say that say over svaras hundreds of times the same svar. Say over again and again and again. He holds it again. What did I say? What does it say? He puts his ear to again, again, till he hears something. This you only can do in the process of, of creation. And that's the shaykhs between Klal Yisrael and the Torah. I'm telling it to you in, 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 a, in a capsule form. This is, you know, from here, if you understand this, you can, you, if you understand this and you look at Jewish history, you know, in retrospect, in the last hundred years in Europe, in Russia, in Poland, in Lithuania, in Romania, in Hungary, even, even in Germany, you, un, you begin to understand how things grew. Things didn't grow, you know. Everything was was counter counter terror. Everything was counter terror. The first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Balatanya, he was so poor after he got married, he used to learn at night by the moonlight. You imagine we were sitting and we're learning. We want to learn and we're enjoying ourselves. No more lights. People drove themselves blind, sit by the moonlight, and and and, and, and go like this. This is this 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 tenacity is not is not when it's from here out. This is a person knows he's, he's changing. He, it's 
This was the relationship of Kali Yisrael and Torah. She couldn't see some of this false. I would be happy if everybody would be in the Bismarck, and not wandering around, sitting and learning quietly when I kick somebody. She couldn't stand it. She said it's wrong because it's femininity itself, the essence of femininity is the creative process. She told him, Torah is the creative process. Couldn't tell you, she told me wrong. There's a Rosh Hashiva in closing, a very interesting story. There's in Yerushalayim, there's a Rosh Hashiva, which doesn't be well, he's now a young man, Rabchaim Shmulagin, this is the Rosh Hashiva in the Mir. Rabchaim Oizah, the Vilna Rav, used to call him, used to call him the Mirror Library. When he used to see him walking, he says, oh, here comes the Mirror Library. He knew everything by heart. So you think he's a genius. So he was in Shanghai with the Mir Yeshiva was during the war in Shanghai. So everybody knows the story. I heard it from a number of people. At night, he was afraid of falling asleep. So you know what he used to do? He used to take, there was a thin table, a wood table with this match, a narrow table. So you put a stender on the table, and he, when nobody was alone, it was wee hours in the morning, he would stand on the table with the stender because if he would drowse off, he was afraid of falling off the table. So he put himself in such a position that he, that he, and they tell over that one night he couldn't overcome, he learned till he was so, like he fell off the table. Can you imagine, you, you drive a car and you see it drowsing, the first thing you, they tell you to do, pull up to the side and then snooze for a while because it's dangerous. Here a person put himself in a, in a position where he could hurt himself, that he would know he'd be afraid that he, that he should constantly learn. We learn like that. These things that I'm telling you, this is only a relationship between a person and, and Yitzhak. I remind myself of another Maizad Chazaynish. When he got married, he lived in a town in Lithuania called Chveidan. I knew the Rav of Chveidan, who was there at the same time with the Chazaynish. He was a rabbi here in America. In fact, his son died a few years ago as a rabbi here in Farakka. He had Shul Chaim Rosen in, in, in Bayswater. His, his father told over that, uh, that the first few years after Chazanish's marriage, so he uh, lived in this town in Lithuania, a little town, Chveidan. So the kids, the kids in the town used to call the Chazanish, he had a nickname. They used to call him Sheish Milas Bemikvah. Why? The first mission in Mikvah starts Sheish Milas Bemikvah. There are six uh, different varying degrees of Mikvahs. And the Chazaynish was learning Mikvah, Seftas Chasen, so he learned the mission so many times, he used to walk back and forth in the Bismarish, till the kids gave him a nickname, Sheish Malus Pemikvah. You think the Chazaynish, oh, he was so... He, 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 he worked so hard on it, till they nicknamed him the first few words of Mikvah. This is the relationship of a person with something more than just knowledge.